thank you for joining me on the Deep Dive Podcast. How are you today? I'm well. Sun shining. Spring is in the air. So uh, yes, you know, great, great to join you as always, Corbett. Oh, Thanks man. for having me. Thank you again. Okay, we're going to jump right into it. And this is really meant to be an innovation discussion. It's a free flow conversation about emerging technology. Tell me quickly about the beginning of your career. What did you do right out of college? How did you get started? Yeah. And then we'll jump into your entrepreneurial uh, sure. analysis. Sure. So, yeah, graduated uh, from Lincoln Memorial University, the Harvard of the Cumberland Gap uh, <laughs> in, uh, in Tennessee in 2004. And then I went into uh, the management trainee program at Sherwin-Williams. So um, yeah, went, went through that program, um, was in their, you know, what is now their America's group or the stores that everyone associates with them for a mm-hmm. few years. Uh, mostly in outside sales and just kind of hustling, knocking on doors, uh, pushing paint and paint related items and, and then moved over, um, and was introduced to the supply chain and the industrial distribution part of our business. And that's where I spent most of my career, um, where I was working with large, manufacturing companies. Um, I spun up a program initially that would align directly with uh, the users of our product, independent of distribution. And that's where I really got exposed to a lot of the problems that we're solving today. So progressively um, grew that program and then was promoted to running our Eastern U.S. business for our industrial distribution group which was about a $25, $30 million business at the time. And, um, and that brought me to Atlanta. So that was in late 2012 and, uh, was here for a few years with that role. And that's really where I I started really feeling the pain and, you know, in a management role, working with a team of 40 plus people across the coast, um, really got me, uh, driven and uh, focused on providing and developing a solution around that. I've always really wanted, was always looking for that uh, opportunity to start my own business. Uh, worked with a handful of startups while I was in Cleveland, Ohio, and got immersed a bit into the startup scene here. And when I when I decided to make the jump, I knew Atlanta was the place I wanted to do it and uh, plant roots. And well, I think sure we'll go into that um, later in the discussion of why, but uh, yeah, that really, you know, I was in industry and then moved and, you know, and started a technology company. So that's, that's um, always interesting how, you know, people work within corporate America and they're, they're in, they go through the training programs and really some people, their destination is that they, they yeah, move through sure. the process, but then others come to the conclusion. They don't want that for their life. They want to, they want more freedom to be able to think outside of the box into, yeah. uh, and that's what I, I call an entrepreneur and to yeah. really launch something of their own and not be on somebody else's clock and really just sort of spread their wings and, 
And a lot of times yep. they find a problem within the enterprise they're working with. Is that sort of what yeah. happened when you were at Sherwin Williams? You saw some problems within uh, the supply chain side, and then that's what yep. really sparked it. T- take me back to exactly. that point where you were like, "Wow, this is exactly what I want to yeah. do." Yeah, certainly. So it was a combination of a couple things. You know, first it was you know, as I continued um, again, always wanted to start something, but needed it to be you know the thing that made me confident enough to jump from that path, right? And um, corporate America career paths are great uh, for a lot of people. Um, It just didn't align with what I wanted to do. And I knew at the time, I was in my early 30s and was like, I'm going to do it. I got to do it now. It's always that, uh, you know, not wanting to look back and regret so I'm like, this is it. This is the time. I'm going to give it a shot, and uh, and thankfully we've you know been able to you know figure it out over the last couple of years. Um, so finding that that certain thing, um, getting involved, um, and just really understanding that as I looked ahead of what a corporate career path was for me, it just wasn't for me. So. And and what when you started your your first company, what made you stay in the Atlanta tech scene? Yeah, that was a that was a big thing. You know, when we my wife and I moved to Atlanta from Cleveland, Ohio, you know, I was with Sherwin Williams in that organization. All roads lead back to Cleveland, typically. So we thought, yeah, a couple of years in Atlanta, um, and we'll be back in Cleveland before we know it. Um, and we got here really uh, fell in love with the city, everything that was going on from, you know, the weather was better, one, <laughs> um, but really more, more, uh, more specifically, the diversity, the technology scene, the, you know, getting back to you and, and Ben Harris and the supply chain now, folks, you know, mm-hmm. supply chain city, right? So being Really finding, falling in love with supply chain with my time with Sherwin Williams and getting exposed to, you know, the complexity of supply chain networks and the, you know, ineffectiveness of traditional technology solutions. It really was very clear that Atlanta was the place to do it. It's a combination of um, great place to live, great place to travel, great companies here. Um, that are innovative and support innovation. And then, you know, a big, big step for me in my entrepreneurial journey, as you know, and we've talked about uh, many times before, uh, was ATDC. Mm-hmm. You know, we were, uh, you know, looked at the several different options, this emerging, emerging tech scene that's been around for a while, but really make, you know, putting, putting itself in a position uh, with, you know, with the, the top tier. Bay Area, New York, Boston, um, startup scenes, and the uh, you know as I looked at different options, ATDC was the one that I felt most comfortable with as a first first time entrepreneur. The guidance, the ecosystem, and it's been really a, a catalyst and a, and a key part of our success as a company, my success as an entrepreneur thus far, 
and and really positioning positioning us to succeed. I think we were I was one of the or um, I would say one of the first folks with the renovation and accelerate alley, right? No, oh, yeah, um, mm-hmm. and uh, moved in there, and really that's when we really got going. Uh, was when we moved in here to ATDC uh, early 2016, and, it, and it's just been it's positioned us with uh, resources, you know, great people from those that support us at ATDC, and then uh, and then uh, obviously um, employees, environment, all that type of stuff. What one of the things years. I find interesting is you know when you decide to to do the startup and you really jump yep. into it and develop the business plan and, and do all of that. Really. I'm interested in the execution piece, you know, how to, how to mm-hmm. scale it. Everybody wants yeah. that secret sauce. How do you scale a startup? You know, what do you, when it, when it comes to raising money, when it comes to mm-hmm. the enterprise relationships, yeah. tell me, walk me through a little bit of the journey of when you started how you began to to scale the business and developing the technology and some of the pieces there that got you to where you are today. Yeah. So, you know, I think the the most important part that, you know, a lot of, a lot of people overlook, right. And just say, Oh, it's about, it's all about capital. It certainly helps, but I mean, the first step and it's, you know, the first step in educate, here at ATBC is customer discovery, right? It's all about the customer. Mm-hmm. It was then, it is now. And and using technology as a catalyst to solve a specific problem um, in your given vertical industry, whatever it may be. For us, it's supply chain intelligence focused on materials management and really connecting with customers and taking what you think is the most valuable problem, which is often wrong, right? We had a big pivot in 2018 to what we're doing now. Um, and often, you know, it is a very, you know, it's often used, but it's very true for nearly all startups is fail fast, experiment, iterate, get close with your customers, uh, to innovate. And, you know, we, we very much, uh, took that path and, and then found our sweet spot and began, uh, developing, you know, something that you're selling to large enterprises there. It's, it's, it's more conducive now, thanks to, you know, the great work of (laughs) your efforts and, um, engage in a lot of other organizations here in Atlanta and just really in general the innovation community for enterprises to adopt and work with startups versus, you know, big incumbents. Right. Mm-hmm. And infusing and failing fast on that end too. So not only just us at the company of like, Hey, let's try this. Let's experiment here. Let's do that. It's also you know, something we talk about with organizations, experiment, fail fast or win big, quickly, right? Mm -hmm. Time to value is essential. um, And something we built our technology around, and then knew the outcomes that our our customers wanted. Certainly, we have a vision, we have things that we want to accomplish and feel we can. 
um, this vision of an intelligent connected supply chain and building towards that. Um, you know, it's the, uh, you know, it goes back to like, you know, stick your vision, mm-hmm. stick to your vision, have a clear path of where you want to go. And if you're making decisions on what you need to do, customer requests, does it help us get there? Right. Right. That's a big part of remain focused, but be adaptive and agile, um, I think is a really important part of it. And so as we looked at, all right, we know the outcomes our customers want. We know the gaps and really studied the gaps in solutions today. Then we could apply the right technology, which you know, for us is artificial intelligence, um, access to massive amounts of data, a technology that can uh, be trained and drives speed, scale, and knowledge transfer from dirty and incomplete data sets you know, it was the right technology applied to a very clear problem and outcome that we desired. Mm-hmm. And I think that's key. We talked about it last week um, with some of the groups at ATDC. Um, never get, it's never get lost on that. You know, it's all, all about the customer and continue to discover um, where you can add more value. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, one of the things I thought was interesting with, with your technology I was actually in a meeting with a big enterprise and you were able to on the fly uh, go through some of the sample data that they had and uh-huh. effectively real time show how your technology works and that, yeah. and, and they were, they were surprised <laughs> just to yeah. be able to see yeah. the cost savings of, of what was there. What are your thoughts around strategic partnerships? I know you have, you've been able to develop some interesting strategic partnerships that's key. I always say that's sort of uh, mm-hmm. riding the coattails in because that can that opens up doors to potential clients in the future. Yep. Mm-hmm. Your go-to-market strategy is it is it uh, one of both looking at strategic partnerships and then also customers and then yep. launching pilots to get customers. Tell me a little bit about that go-to-market strategy. Yeah. So we are you know we target. Our ideal customers are large global supply chains, typically asset intensive, which points us to manufacturing a lot, but not not solely manufacturing, uh, but no specific verticals, right? Mm-hmm. So that's that's a huge plus that we can go into. It's really we've developed the solution less vertical specific to auto or CPG or you know energy or something like that, but more system and process related. And I think that's, you know, when you're, when you're selecting a problem, you're trying to innovate. Yeah. You want to add value and you know, you, your go-to-market can be very vertical specific, but that also uh, limits your total addressable market, which is a very important part of raising capital and, and size of the prize. And so um, we are very focused on materials management, but we can, serve and help customers, you know, understand the materials they need to run their operations and build their products over the long term. And that's, you know, that's a billion dollar business opportunity. So um, as we, as we look at um, strategic partnerships, you know, we consider each of our customers strategic opportunities. These are big organizations. We usually have, you know, we have an entry point that's low risk, very very fast time to value. 
We simplify a lot of complex problems, solve for a lot of pain, and then have a path that we can go and grow, land and expand with individual customers. But that also opens up opportunities. You know, supply chain networks are some of the most compl- complex networks uh, you know that there are, and there's a lot of a lot of players and partners that work together, but uh, systems aren't conducive to supporting that. So for us, land and expand with customers, add value to not only the customers, but suppliers, um, and have those direct relationships. That often turns into, you know, we're seeing the beginnings of a network effect for our business, which is awesome and ideal uh, because we can get introductions to other business units and suppliers and show value on both sides, uh, which again goes back to helping support, you know, speed of growth, but also size of the addressable market. And then, um, and then aligning with those that really embody innovation. Um, and so we've aligned strategically with customers we do business with, systems we support, you know, I always reference us being Switzerland in a way mm-hmm. where you know we can plug in and enhance and help drive value and speed uh, to digital transformations across the entire supply chain. Um, so we have strategic partnerships with many system providers, SAP, Oracle, Infor. Um, we've worked with large consulting uh, and integrators that we can help that add value to their customer base and a channel relationship. And then we just, you know, just brought on our first major uh, strategic investor with BMW iVentures, which is going to really take us into the automotive space. Um, so one thing I would suggest in, in regards to strategic partnerships um, is, you know, really know whether that partner um, can help you, right? There's a lot of time that there's a lot of time that could be wasted um, betting on someone to help you in a specific way. You know, really, you have to control as an entrepreneur and as a business control the path and customer acquisition and all that type of stuff. But strategics can be very helpful to break into new markets and uh, get better access, uh, but they can also spin your wheels too. Um, so that, that's one thing I would suggest, but we're, we're going to continue to look at, um, you know, as, as we continue to grow, look at other strategic partnerships that help us uh, work towards our intelligent connected supply chain vision and be more supportive of uh, accelerating industry 4.0 adoption. Mm-hmm. You know, when, when, and I got my, my thoughts on this, but where you sit when it comes to corporate innovation, what are some of the obstacles that you've seen that prevent corporate innovation from happening? Yeah, I mean, much, much like uh, red tape, you know, corporate red tape and um, and overprocessed thinking, right? Those that do do it very well um, are, you know, remove the remove the barriers, remove the obstacles. Don't treat innovation as, you know, a a vendor 
customer relationship, right? Um, I would say innovation can't be be done through an RFP. It's really sitting at the table together rather than across the table. And for me, that's one thing I've done. You know, one of the key things that I do as CEO uh, for our team and our business is try to get at the table with um, organizations that are innovative so we can accelerate our processes, learn a ton about you know how they how how they do business, but not be in your traditional um, traditional vendor relationship cycles. I mean, I think that's that's a big first step uh, for corporates uh, to innovate is really embodying it from a culture perspective, right. Right. not just not just saying I talk to our sales team all the time because innovation is an awesome path in, right? We call on business folks, uh, chief supply chain officers and down, chief procurement officers and down, and innovation's a, a great path in um, when it's when it's done well. Uh, but it can also be, you know, more of a marketing function that an organization is innovative uh, than a culture cultured embodiment of innovation that you know can move fast, fail fast, or win big quickly. I, I always say you, you have to collaborate to innovate. And mm-hmm. you know it's it's a lot of that. Yeah, and I've I've done some of these deep dives with large large enterprises that you yep. think on the outside are so innovative, but once mm-hmm. you get there's sort of a bottleneck where the yeah. innovation stops, and there's some type of you know legacy structure or the way that they're structured corporately internally. Yep, it stunts it, and then you know my whole objective always is to launch a pilot. Yep. With, mm-hmm. with our companies at ATDC, and then yep. you get to that point where you know the time frame to launch a pilot could be anywhere from three to nine months or even longer, and that's discouraging, particularly when you're an early yep. stage company, to go through that red tape and and have to endure that whole process to get to the point. And just to try. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Just to try it out, just to, to learn whether, you know, it is, it's, there's certainly as a startup, you have to come prepared. You have to understand your customer, all the key aspects of selling. You have to, have, this is what we can accomplish for you. Here's what we want to work towards and here's how we do it. Right. So mm-hmm. there's, you know, it's, it's clear there, but it's also, customer discovery never stops, right? You're going to learn, always learn new things and, and be able to position for success. And, and it's key that organizations understand that as much as, you know, the startup does as well. When it comes to innovation in supply chain, what are some of the current, what what has your attention right now with uh, some, some trends that are happening around supply chain? Yeah. Um, so pandemic heightened supply chain as a priority. Um, talked about it, wrote, uh, I've written about it and will continue to do so. Um, supply chain for years and decades has been back page efficiencies, operational efficiency, risk reduction. And it remains that certainly in terms of the risk reduction and reliability aspect of producing and getting 
products to, to consumers. Mm-hmm. But now, you know, with, with the unpredictability of COVID-19 and what that did to supply chains, it heightened something that we've seen the last five years or more where there's still too many manual processes. There wasn't the investment in uh, supply chain systems, uh, organizational-wise, enterprise-wide. So enterprises running very disconnected, um, doing a lot of things outside of the system. And last year we learned good enough is no longer good enough. And so (laughs) supply chain is a competitive advantage and those that were great at it, you know, again, hate to bring up Amazon, but Mm -hmm. they were prepared, right? Mm -hmm. And they, they did tremendously well. And those that had had, had adoption in place and we're moving towards that, I think um, really position themselves, but it's not done, right? They can continue to build on that. And really every organization's looking at digital transformation, you know, pick the buzzwords, um, visibility and uh, orchestration and all that stuff across the supply chain. Um, but, you know, there are, you gotta, just like being an entrepreneur, you have to do, you can't talk about it. And a plan that takes these digital transformations, you know, traditionally and even today, five to seven years before, you know, you're through all the nodes of the supply chain, logistics, finished goods, direct materials, indirect materials, warehousing, all that stuff. Um, you have to do things that you can, that can help build upon, connect the dots and innovation can't be additional silos. And that's one of the things that you know, we're trying to curb as a company is being this connected tissue um, that can help accelerate the entire digital transformation, entire industry 4.0. We're not going to do it, but we can participate in it and accelerate it. And that's a key thing. So if you spit up a bunch of pilots that are really disconnected, they can be isolated success, but it's inhibiting the scalability of it across organizations. So we're seeing a lot of that, talking about it a lot. And, uh, and I think organizations are understanding it, but it's also, uh, like, I, I think I was alluding to and didn't finish my thought, but it's, you got to do right. You're an right. entrepreneur. Yeah. You know, thinking about it, planning for it, planning for it, planning for it. You have to do it. You have to try it whether you're a corporation or an entrepreneur. One of the things I thought was interesting as I observed you know, the whole pandemic as on the retail side, how the curbside delivery and the third party delivery services really came into their own where you know, they, they existed before, but yeah. they came out in full force when people didn't want yeah. to go into a store and, you know, I've seen some of these large retailers that have, that are currently converting half of their retail space to curbside where, yeah, and, yeah. And, you know, that, like that Best changes, Buy yeah, like Best that. Buy particularly, you know, that changes the, the whole model of that traditional retailer, but on the supply side, supply chain side, it, it changes the logistics on how mm-hmm. that is being delivered to the consumer 
And then with the emergence of drone technology that we've talked about mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. delivery there, that's a whole nother interesting uh, focus yeah. on the potential of where that's going. And I know some big companies are testing it out. And I've had a few people on that thinks, you know, within the, the next three years, we will have drone yeah. delivery to our homes. 100, 100%. Yeah, I know a handful of startups working on it, corporations obviously trying it um, both publicly and privately. Uh, it's going to be really fun, honestly. <laughs> it's going to be so much fun over the next five years to, right, to, see, to, it evolve. to see how this all comes together. And, you know, one of the things that I hadn't talked about yet, but you know, I know we've talked about before is like the expectations of, you know, the consumers will continue to be more and more demanding and the supply chains that support those demands, not just, I want to buy this, but the expectations of how quickly um, they should get something is going to, is going to be um, a big part of why organizations win. And, you know, those that have got gone down the path. Yeah. It's so weird when you order something now and it takes like four days to get there. You're like, what? Why is it? You get yeah, irritated. What's happening? Not, yeah. not 24 hour so. delivery. <laughs> Tell yeah, me. Exactly. Yeah. On, when it comes to supply chain, the one of the big buzzwords is blockchain. Yep. Tell me, what are your, your thoughts? I know there's a lot of conversation around blockchain. There's mm-hmm. a lot of things that really don't exist yet around yeah. blockchain. People think of cryptocurrency and those types of technologies. Where, what's your thoughts on blockchain now and where it's going mm-hmm. over the next three to five years? Yeah, um, I'm, I'm no blockchain expert, but the application of it um, makes perfect sense, right? And I think, you know, often explained when organizations talk about, you know, hey, we want to, you know, we've been with organizations that, you know, bring us in and they're like, yeah, we want to transform our procurement and inventory strategy. And we want to put it on a blockchain like right away, right? And, you know, it's kind of like building a house, right? And it all goes back to all these things we're talking about. You know, the big inhibitor is data quality, data understanding, which is, you know, what we do and have a a very intimate knowledge of what fuels innovation, right? It all goes back to data and how you approach it. And there's wildly different approaches than uh, traditional data cleanses and things of that nature. But uh, you know, blockchain's like a house, right? You wouldn't put, blockchain's the roof. You wouldn't put that on before you poured the foundation and put up the studs, right? Mm-hmm. So, and the walls, and I would consider that very much to be, you know, something that uh, when put in place is going to just add really one of the most important elements within supply chain or any billet, uh, business is trust, right? So that adds that level of trust that you can distribute across a network and across systems. And over the next five years, I think we are going to see it as digital good data can be distributed across a blockchain mm-hmm. rather than, you know, 
a blockchain being in place, but you don't have the right information to feed it. Yeah, no, I, I think that's that's a, I'm on the same page there, and you know, yeah. blockchain. I really categorize that the same as AI mm-hmm. like buzzwords. Yeah, and they're yep. they're at their infancy, and they still haven't fully. <clears throat> we haven't seen the the potential for those technologies yeah, no. because they're evolving as we're speaking. It's coming down. It's coming down in the renaissance of supply chain, and um, and again, we'll be. Uh, We'll be here, absolutely mm-hmm. be here and be a key part, um, but it's a progression. And that's that's the biggest thing. And, and again, if you want to get there, you got to start now. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And on another topic, how do you avoid burnout? I know you, you're going 100 miles an hour. I, I see you right. always <laughs> in meetings and doing deals, speaking on panels. How do you avoid burnout from an early stage company standpoint, personally? Sure, sure. Um, It's really difficult to manage with, you know, something always seems to be on fire, right? (laughs) From a business perspective um, and, or, you know, things that you want to do. You always want to be going faster. um, And that can certainly burn you out. I try I try to clearly block uh, time on my calendar for things, you know, Daryl Liu that, you know, one mm-hmm. of our VPs, you know, shared ways that he uh, co-signed on a couple of his ways of like, I'm going to block this time so I can either be heads down on something specifically I need to do, um, which actually helps with burnout because you're, you're less stressed, you're less anxious about things. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, with a million things going on or it's blocked. So, you know, really get disciplined for, for me, it's family time, right? Getting away from the business, spending time and being present. Something I'm always, always working on um, with a million things going on. And for me, I also try as much as possible. Like for me, it's Saturdays, right? Saturday, um, you know, pre-pandemic would always, you know, run specific errands with my son, spend the morning mm-hmm. together and just try to really not work on Saturdays mm-hmm. and yeah. make that full family time and most of Sunday and obviously Sunday night, like most people you know, plan for the week. Um, that's how I deal with it. And I, you know, I have conditioned myself. I'm a pretty easygoing guy, generally speaking. <laughs> so try not to sweat the small stuff. I mean, if you're, if you're getting over concerned, about little things it's gonna just gonna continue to pile up on your shoulders and you have to look about look at all right well this is the situation how do we deal with it rather than lamenting on it and creating more anxiety in an already very stressful anxious environment and as we grow too there's you know this other element of being a ceo and now our company's you know, nearly 35 people and going to be you know, 50 plus, um, pretty soon. And now you have the responsibility of all those individuals and their families, right. And wanting to do well and help everyone in a a great culture environment. So we're, we're consistently, I'm consistently leaning on others and building a team, whether it's board advisors, partners that help lift the organization and, and help 
me um, not feel like I'm shouldering everything because it's just that'll burn you out quicker than anything. So yeah. I think great, great team and finding time to uh, to really disconnect, which is very, very difficult. Yeah, no, yeah. I, I agree. And that's that's a perfect perspective is you know, the team that you've surrounded yourself with and you're bringing on being able to bounce things off and not shoulder everything yourself. Yeah. And that takes a lot of the pressure off. Plus, you know, with me, one of the thing, one of my main key things is, is working out, you know, trying to get in yeah. some type of a mm-hmm. workout daily. And, yep. uh, you know, it could be a combination of different things, but that sort of sets your mind or my mind at ease and helps me to be more productive, I think, and, and feel better about yeah. the outcome and pers- my own perspective. Uh, looking for yeah if i if i can get to same thing so part of this pandemic and probably talk about it too much but for me it's been great now that the weather is getting a little bit better you know sold my car bought an e-bike live on the belt line and bike from home into work every day and there's like 30 minutes where music on podcast on outside you know no phone calls and that 30 minutes into work, 30 minutes home gives me like this preparation of head clearing or, you know, thinking about, you know, strategic things, you know, taking that time will, will reduce burnout, but it'll also uh, open up creativity and, uh, and problem solving ability, you know, when you're not always onto the next task, right? So that, that working out, those types of things are essential to, to break away, um, and keep your, keep your sanity. I agree. I agree. Tell the listeners, what's the best way for them to connect with you? Yeah. So, uh, paul.noble at verison.com email, uh, Twitter and all the major social, uh, Areas at Paul J Noble, and then through through our company uh, handles um, at Barrison underscore AI. Um, any of those channels will will get back, and uh, and please don't hesitate to reach out. Paul, man, thank you so much for joining the Deep Dive Podcast today. I want to have you back again, you and we can. Uh, you know, dig in deeper on into innovation. But again, thanks for joining us. Always enjoy Corbett. Thanks for having me.